Chapter Five, Part E of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter Five, Part E. I phoned Stuart Thario to fly over right away for a conference. General, I began. We'll have to start looking ahead and making plans. He hid his mustache with the side of his forefinger. Don't quite understand, Albert. Have details here of activities next three years. I pressed the buzzer for my secretary. Bring General Thario some refreshment, I ordered. The command was not only familiar on the occasion of his visits, but evidently anticipated, for she appeared in a moment with a tray full of bottles. Bad habit of yours, Albert, teetotalism. Makes the brain cloudy. Insidious. He took a long drink. Very little real bourbon left. European imitation vile. Learning to like Holland gin. He drank again. To get back to the business of making plans, General, I urged gently. Not one of those people getting worried about the grass. Not worried, just trying to look ahead. I can't afford to be caught napping. Well, well, he said, can't pull another South American this time. No, no, and besides, I'm not concerned with money. Now, Albert, don't tell me you've finally got enough. This is not the time to be avaricious, I reproved him. If the grass continues to spread, and there seems to be little doubt it will. All of New Zealand's North Island was finished this morning, he interrupted. I heard it myself. Anyway, that's the point. As the grass advances, there will be new hordes of refugees. He was certainly in an impatient mood this morning, for he interrupted me again. New markets for concentrates, he suggested. I looked at him pityingly. Was the old man's mind slipping? I wondered if it would be necessary to replace him. General, I said gently, with rare exceptions, these people will have nothing but worthless currency. Goods! Labor! Have you seen the previous batches of refugees foresighted enough to get out any goods of value before starting off? And as for labor, all our workers are now so heavily subsidized by the dole that to cut wages another cent... Halfpenny, corrected General Thario. Centim, if you like would be merely to increase our taxes. Well, well, he said, I see I have been hasty. What did you have in mind, Albert? Retrenchment. Cut production. Abandon the factories in the immediate path of the grass. Fix on reasonably safe spots to store depots of the finished concentrates, others for raw materials. Or perhaps they might be combined. What about the factories? Smaller, I said. Practically portable. Hmm, he frowned. You do intend to do business on a small scale. Minute, I confirmed. What about the mines, the steel mills, the oil fields, the airplane and automobile factories, the shipyards? Shut them down, I ordered, ruthlessly, except maybe a few in England. The countries where they're located will grab them. 
there isn't a government in existence who would dare touch anything belonging to consolidated pemmican if any should come into existence our individualistic friends would take care of the situation pay gangsters to overturn governments they would hardly be legitimate governments anyway a man has a right to protect his property albert he complained querulously you're condemning civilization to death general i said you're talking like a wild-eyed crackpot a businessman's concern is with business he leaves abstractions to visionaries our plants will be closed down because until the grass is stopped they can make us no profit let some idealistic industrialist take care of civilization albert you know very well no business of any size can operate today without your active support think again albert listen to me as a friend we have been associated a long time and to some extent you have taken joe's place in my mind consider the larger aspects suppose you don't make a profit suppose you even take a loss you can afford to do it for common humanity i certainly think i do my share for common humanity general thario and it cuts me to the heart that you of all people should imply such a sentimental and unjust reproach against me you know as well as i do i have given more than half my fortune to charitable works albert albert need there be this hypocrisy between you and me i don't know what you mean i only know i called you to evolve specific plans and you have embarked instead on windy platitudes and personal insult he sat for a long time quietly his drink untouched before him i did not disturb his meditation but indulged in one on my own account thinking of all i had done for him and his family but only a foolish man expects gratitude or for that matter any reward at all for his kindnesses at last he broke his silence speaking slowly almost painfully i have not had what could be called a successful life even though today i am a wealthy man he resumed his drink again and i wondered what this remark had to do with the subject in hand perhaps nothing i thought he is just rambling along while he reconciles himself to the situation i was glad he was going to be sensible after all not that it mattered i could get many able lieutenants but for old time's sake i was pleased at the abandonment of his recalcitrance he relaxed further into the chair while i waited to resume the practical discussion when you first came to me in washington albert seeking war contracts for your microscopic business i suppose there was even then a mark upon your forehead but I was too heavy with the guilt of my own affairs to see it. We all have our price, Albert. Sometimes it is another star on the shoulder straps, or a peerage, or wealth, or the apparent safety of a son. I have come a long way with you since then, Albert, through shady deals and brilliant coups and dark passages which would not bear too much investigation. I'm afraid I cannot go any further with you. You will have to get someone else to kill civilization.
"'As you choose, General Thario,' I agreed stiffly. "'Wait, I'm not finished. "'I have always tried, however inadequately, to do my duty. "'Articles of war, holding commission in the armies of the United States. "'Emotion seemed to be sobering him rapidly. "'Duty to you, consolidated pemmican. "'Resign commission. "'Must mention spot. "'Try Sahara.' He stood up. Thank you, General Thario, I said. I shall certainly consider the Sahara as location for depots. You won't change your mind about this whole thing, Albert? I shook my head. How could I fly in the face of common sense to gratify the silly whim of an old man whose intelligence was clearly not what it had once been? I was afraid not, he muttered. Afraid not. I don't blame you, Albert. Men are as God created them, or environment, as the socialist fellers say. You didn't put the mark on your forehead. Not successful. Joe, I called him George, but he was Joe all the time, wanted to go to West Point, after all. First symphony in the fire. I burned Joe's first symphony. Do you understand me, Albert? Though I refuse, I am still guilty. Cannibal Thario, they said. Cronus would be better. Classical illusion escapes the enlisted man. He walked out, still mumbling inarticulately, and I sat there saddened that a man once alert and vigorous as the general should have come at last to senility and an enfeebled mind. The defection of General Thario threw a great burden of work upon my shoulders. Prebblesham was able enough in his own sphere, but his vision was not sufficiently broad to operate at the highest levels. The process of closing down our plants was more complicated than had been anticipated, and Thario's military mind would have been more useful than Prebblesham's theological one. The employees, conceiving through some fantastic logic that their jobs were as much their property as the mills or mines or factory buildings were mine, rioted and had to be pacified. The first time such a tactic was resorted to in years. In some places these misguided men actually took possession of the places where they worked and tried to operate them, but of course they were balked by their own inefficiency. Human nature being what it is, they tried to blame their helplessness on my control of their sources of raw material and their consequent inability to obtain vital supplies, as well as the cutting off of light and power from the seized plants. But this was mere buck-passing, always noticeable when some radical scheme fails. But the setting up of depots in the Sahara, as General Thario had suggested, and by extension in Arabia, was a different matter. Here, Prebblesham's genius shone. He flew our whole Australian store of raw materials out without a loss. He recruited gangs of Chinese coolies with an efficiency which would have put an old-time blackbirder to shame. He argued, cajoled, bullied, sweated for twenty-four hours a day, and when in six months he had completed his task, we had seven depots, two in Arabia and five in Africa, complete with four factories, with enough concentrates on hand to feed the world for a year, if the world had the means to pay, which it didn't, and to operate for five. 
During those six months, the grass ravenously snatched morsel after morsel. New Zealand's South Island, New Caledonia, the Solomons, and the Marianas were gobbled at the same moment. It gorged on New Guinea and searched out the minor islands of the East Indies as a cat searches for baby field mice in a nest her paw has discovered. It took a bite of the Queensland coast just below the Great Barrier Reef. The next day it was reported near Townsville, and soon after on the Cape York Peninsula, the Australian finger pointing upwards to islands where lived little black men with woolly hair. The people of Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane took the coming of the grass with calm anger. Preparations for removal had been made months before, and this migration was distinguished from previous ones by its order and completeness. But although they moved calmly in accordance with clear plans, their anger was directed against all those in authority who had failed to take measures to protect their beloved land. Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania went. The grass swept southward like a sickle, cutting through South Australia and biting deep with its point into western. Although we were amply provided with raw material, considering the curtailment of our activities, Preblesham, on the spot, could not resist buying up great herds of sheep for a penny on the pound and having them driven northward in the hope of finding somehow a means to ship them. I am sorry to say, though I am afraid I could have predicted it, this venture was a total loss. Burlet, unfolding the times on my breakfast plate, coughed respectfully. If I could speak to you, at your convenience, sir. What is it, Burlet? Lord Arper's finally come through with a higher offer? Not at all, sir. I consider the question of service closed as long as you find yourself quite satisfied, sir. Quite satisfied, Burlet. I had in mind the discussion of quite another matter, sir, not relating to domestic issues. Very well, Burlet. Come into the library after breakfast. Very good, sir. With a world of problems on my mind, I thought it would be wryly amusing to resolve whatever difficulties troubled my butler. Promptly after I had settled myself at my desk and before I rang for my secretary, Burlet appeared in the doorway, his striped vest smoothed down over his rounded abdomen, every thin hair in place over the dome of his balding head. Come in, Burlet. Sit down. What's on your mind? Thank you, sir. To my surprise, he accepted my invitation and seated himself opposite me. I have been speculating, sir. Really, Burlet, silly thing to do. Lost all your wages, I suppose, and would like an advance. You misapprehend me, sir. Not speculating on change, speculating on the grass. Oh, and did you arrive at any conclusion, Burlet? I believe I have, sir. As I understand it, scientists and statesmen are exerting their energies to fight the grass. That's right. I was beginning to be bored. Had the butler fallen prey to one of the graminophile sects like Brother Paul's and gone through all this rigmarole merely to give me notice previous to immolating himself? And, so far... They have achieved no success. 
Obviously, Burlet. Well then, sir, would it not be a sensible precaution to find some means of refuge until and if they find a way to kill the grass? There is no if, Burlet. The means will be found, and shortly of that I am sure. As for temporary refuge until that time, no doubt it would be excellent, if practicable. What do you propose? Emigration to Mars or floating islands in the oceans? Both of these expedients had long ago been put forth by contestants in the intelligencer. Journeys to other planets would not solve things, sir. Assuming the construction of a vessel, an assumption so far unwarranted, if I may say so, sir, it would accommodate but a fraction of the affected populations. As for floating islands, they would be no more immune to airborne seeds than stationary ones. So it was discovered long ago, Burlet. Quite so, sir. Then, if I may say so, protection must be afforded on the spot. And how do you propose to do that? Well, sir, by the building of vertical cities. Vertical cities? Yes, sir. I believe sites should be selected near bodies of fresh water, and tremendous excavations made. The walls and floor of the excavation should be lined with concrete, through which the water is piped. The cities could be on many levels, the topmost perhaps several miles in the air, glass enclosed, and with pipes reaching still higher to bring air in, and completely tight against the grass. They should be self-contained, generating their own power, and providing their food by hydroponic farming. Such cities could hold millions of people, now doomed, until a way is found to kill the grass. There was a faintly familiar ring to the scheme. You seem to have worked it out thoroughly, Burlet. Polishing the plate, sir. Polishing the plate? It leaves the mind free for cerebration. I have a full set of blueprints and specifications if you'd like to inspect them, sir. It was fantastic, I thought, and probably quite impractical, but I promised to submit his plans to those with more technical knowledge than I possessed. I sent his carefully written papers to an undersecretary of the World Congress and forgot the matter. Idleness certainly led to queer occupations. Vertical cities. And who in the world had the money to erect these nightmare structures? Only Albert Weiner. That was probably why Burlet took advantage of his position to approach me with the scheme. Completely absurd. End of chapter 5, part E.